You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. You know what I was thinking about? I was actually thinking maybe we need to change that intro to say, you know, do your own damn security risk management adjustment. And I know that sounds funny, but like the only thing worse, and actually maybe this is just me, but the thing I don't like giving more than financial advice is actually security advice. And I know for many that might come as a surprise, right? My background, uh, I worked in nine years in cybersecurity for the Department of Defense uh, here out of the Pentagon, worked, uh, didn't actually go to school for all for cybersecurity, went to school for uh, computer system or computer science and business information systems. And I got my really first job out of college after doing a little bit of uh, working at UPS uh, at, you know, entry level help desk job in cybersecurity and eventually grew that to a massive team that I managed uh, across the, the cyber side of the house. And, you know, interestingly enough for me, you know, part of the reason I struggle with giving security advice or talking about cybersecurity or giving people security best practices is that, you know, security is really only as good as those that are implementing it and those that are willing to adjust and adapt as they go. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, if I told you to use a complex password for your banking and making sure that you didn't just use password one, two, three, four, that sounds like great security advice. The problem is people will start to use that same password across every single social media site, every site they create a password And now they've just created a massive single point of failure to where it's actually in many cases worse. Having one password the same across your banking, your social, and your email than it is having a password of password one, two, three, four on your email and password one, two, three, four, you know, pound sign on your social media. And it's that, you know, single point of failure. And I say all of this because Like I, I mean, part of the reason that I left or I, you know, I wouldn't say escaped the cybersecurity world was that in the most, for the most part, the only time people give a crap about security is when they've already been violated or they've been, uh, you know, they've been taken advantage of, or they're scared and there's other things happening to them around them. Right. And when you're working in a place of like, I mean, when you're working in a really in a scenario of like, oh, shitsville, it it becomes very like um, hacked. It comes very, you know, put together. And so on top of that, one of the other things that I think really is a is a nerve that hits close to home for me is it's so easy for us to highlight what other people are doing wrong, even in the case that 
we wouldn't be willing or able to do what those people are doing, but we do feel like we're entitled or that we feel like we have, you know, enough knowledge to give people advice or to criticize them on how they're doing something, even though it's never been done before. And so what I wanted to kind of talk through, and and I've been trying to figure out how I was going to address this, uh, these couple issues that have been going on in the last you know, week or so here in the NFT space, but I want to, cause I, I really try to focus this podcast on evergreen content. While at the same time, I also recognize that if it's the, if something happens and it's the first time it happened in the NFT space, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Lean in, lean in closer to your AirPods. Um, it's going to happen again. And guess what? If it's not the first time yet, the people that are that are dealing with it this time are doing it better. Guess what? We probably should learn from that. And so there's a couple of things I want to address. One of them is at a project that I absolutely love. We had the CMO uh, of Crypto Chicks M uh, on the podcast uh, a little while ago. We're going to talk a little bit about what what's going on with that project. The other thing we're going to talk a little bit about is the OpenSea um, exploit that happened uh, over the weekend. And I mean, really just the fake news the bad news, the drama news, the the spreading of rumors, the all of a sudden everybody's an expert in security news. And like, I mean, you'll notice that I don't put cybersecurity in my bio. And part of the reason is, is like, there's either two ways this goes for the most part. One, one thing is like, people are like, oh my God, you know security, I can ask you every security question in, under the sun. The other thing, and this is what I always worry about, is that people will take advice from, let's say, a security expert. And they will know that there's not many people that are talking about security from a place of authority. And so all of a sudden, they will repeat everything they've heard to to make themselves almost like an authority on that topic. And for me, that scares the shit out of me as a as someone that's in this space. And it's not... And I remember, like, I we talked about this in the last couple episodes, right? Like, press the damn button. My mantra is simple, right? Perfection's a fairy tale and control is an illusion. And I think part of this is I have to like, you know, eat my own dog food, drink my own champagne. I need to walk the walk. Uh, I can't just talk the talk. And part of that is, you know, I can't control what people are doing or what people are saying based on what they learn here on the podcast, based on what they hear from me on Twitter spaces or in clubhouse. And I'll say, you know, I jumped up and was giving, uh, you know, I did two and a half hours of, of security Q and a with the women tribe, uh, shout out to women tribe, by the way, their NFT just, uh, the reveal just happened today and, uh, NFT underscore Izzy, uh, who'll be coming on the podcast over the next month or so. Um, her art is just amazing. It's my current Twitter profile photo. Uh, we did mint one of those for mint 365. So excited to bring them um, on board uh, today. And so like the, the three things I want to talk about. First one, crypto chicks. The second one, the open sea exploit and security side. And then the third one is actually the two projects that we recently minted that um, really to their own um their own success became their own haters in a way because of the whitelist problems that we currently have or pre-sale problems that we currently have with both women tribe and then the project we minted today, which is the uh, bunny buddies. 
And so I'm going to break down the three of those and we'll kind of, um, kind of tease out how those go. And I'm actually going to go in reverse order of that. So what had happened was Women Tribe, which um, is a uh, NFT project that launched two days ago. It ended up selling out uh, within a matter of, of minutes. They did a four-day uh, pre-sale for their whitelist and then opened up to the public. And it sold out, I think, in like, I mean, it was like eight minutes, it felt like. And they did the four-day pre-sale because they didn't want to... Uh, they didn't want to really inspire gas wars, which for those that aren't familiar with gas wars, it just means, you know, the price of gas, which is the transaction fees. And we did a whole episode on gas. Um, the, the price actually increases based on the amount of traffic on, um, on the, the actual blockchain during that time. And so they decided to mitigate that they would give people on the pre-sale list four days to actually mint. And then when they, they dropped to the public, they would drop to the public. Now, they took a lot of pre uh, of security concerns um, into account, and they even you know blocked off their Discord so they didn't have to worry about uh, Discord exploits. And you know the interesting thing about it is that you know getting on the whitelist, and, and I've been very vocal about this, the pre-sale list. I I despise the way that they currently are. But here's the problem: <sighs> I don't have a solution right now, and I do not like calling out a problem without providing a solution because guess what? That's just more noise and that's a pet peeve of mine. But it is something that I, I've been back channeling with a circle of people that I work with. It is something that I know I want to help address in projects that I'm involved in, either as a consultant or as an advisor or as an ambassador. Because there was actually two different ways of doing this, right? Women Tribe did a pre-sale whitelist. They gave four days to mint um, the their project, right? And you could, on the whitelist, you could buy up to three, but they limited the whitelist possibilities to, I believe, about 2,000 people. And so even if all 2,000 people that were on the pre-sale list minted the, or the, the max amount that they could mint, which was three, then that would be 6,000 of the 10,000 collection. Now, the Bunny Buddies, which sold out today, and shout out to that team, uh, to Meta Mitch and, uh, and um, Ari and uh, Ryan, the, 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 art, uh, the artist behind that project. Amazing art, amazing team. I've got to know them over the last month uh, via Clubhouse. been spending many hours with them um, in social audio rooms. But they did kind of the opposite. They, they did a pre-sale whitelist where you could only mint two. Now, it was a higher price as well. But they did a two-hour window. But here's the thing, that if every one of the people minted two on the pre-sale whitelist for that project, it would actually sell out before the public sale happened. So now we have to take a step back. And, and the interesting thing was both of these projects got a ton of hate, not because bad projects or rug pulls or malicious intent, but there were people that really, really wanted an opportunity to buy these NFTs. And in both cases, we're not able to do so, right? Because the bots maybe beat them to it, right? Because I don't care what you're doing right now with your smart contract. The people that are writing the bots right now are smarter than us. They are, they're able to throw at, you know, I looked at the women tribe one and some people, some of the bots, uh, and I'm assuming they are bots, were willing to pay 10x the suggested gas price, 10x the suggested gas price just to mint one because the mint price was 0.04 
and the current floor price was 0.3. And they realized that even if they ended up paying 10 times more on gas, that there would be profit for them on the backside. And that's how bots, the bot, you know, technology is works. And they also, you know, when you think about bots and the way that bots work, and you know, this is cybersecurity at its best. For many people, you're like, why would they go through all the work of of minting one of these and then selling it for like a 0.1 profit? Well, here's the thing. When you're when they're working with bots, they're not working with one off or two off or three off. What they're working at is total scale. So for them, they're like, you know what? If we can pay 10x price and on each one of them net a 0.1 ETH profit and we end up minting 500, it's now 500 times 0.1 profit, which ends up making it all worth the while versus those that are just doing one, two, or three. Now, in full transparency, the Women Tribe actually asked me um, to audit uh, kind of as a a third uh, person to have eyes on their contract. And their contract was extremely well written, everything down to monitoring the wallets that were actually minting, making sure that people that got three of them during the pre-sale were not able to also get three of them during the public sale. It was a very well-written contract. Um, They had hired multiple people to look at it from a security perspective, looked at it from a um, you know, a, a a fair play perspective, yet they still had a lot of people that were upset and were disappointed that they weren't able to get the, one of the NFTs. On the Bunny Buddy product project, what had happened was they did a, the two-hour window for everyone that was in the pre-sale, and guess what? They sold out in 30 minutes, and even myself, who was on the pre-sale uh, you know, list, I actually, I woke up, it was nine, nine o'clock. I knew that they were, the, the pre-sale was for about two hours. So I waited till about nine 30, moved over my ETH, went to go buy it. And uh oh, they were already sold out. Now I jumped onto OpenSea and I ended up buying um, one for the Mint 365 project and one for our own personal project um, at a little bit like 0.04. Uh, I, the mint price is 0.25 and I bought one for 0.27 and one for 0.29. So I paid a little bit more, uh, you know, $80 or more uh, or so more for each of them on secondary market. But that's not really the point here. The point is our hate and our disgust in both of these cases went at the projects, at the founders. And all of a sudden people started spreading, spreading, spreading FUD. And they're like, this project sucks. These people don't care about their community. These, these founders are a joke. They're frauds. They're liars. But here's the truth. Your bitterness and anger is towards the wrong people. The problem is right now we're all doing our best and nobody has figured out a foolproof way for eliminating the bots. Now, someone suggested, what if they did a CAPTCHA um, you know, requirement on the Mint website? Well, now we're, now we're playing in this, like, we want Web 2 functionality, but yet we want to play in Web 3 decentralized. And other people were saying, well, what if we did a raffle? Well, now a raffle is just as bad as the, the getting the lucky. And I've, I've shared, I've been a part of a couple raffles and I've, I've never seen people more pissed off than people that weren't able to get something because of a raffle. And so here's where I wanted to just address that, that one of the three things we're going to talk about in this episode is we need, we need to shift. And I know that there's a financial obligation here. And this is, this is tough for me because I, I wish everyone had an opportunity to participate in everything, but you know, I'm a sneakerhead, and I'm also an iPhone junkie. I've camped out of outside of an Apple store 
nine different times. I don't think I've shared this publicly on the podcast. Nine different times over the years, I've waited out overnight. Now, I will say I was a little bit cheating because I was in Arizona. Temperature was nice. But I wanted to get the newest iPhone. And I remember the one time uh, my brother and I, we got there like 4 p.m. the night before. It was going for sale at 10 a.m. the next morning. So we knew that we were going to be out there. We had friends that were going to bring us drinks and pizza. And we planned on buying um, you know, three phones each so that we could give our family and everyone that wanted to be a part of it. And guess what happened? That one, that time especially, right? We got out there at 4 p.m. And we were number like 105 in line. And it ended up get, being almost 1,000 people in line overnight that night. We had a blast, actually. I got to geek out. I actually have one, one of my good friends to this day is actually someone I met in that line uh, getting for that, uh, that iPhone. I think it was for the iPhone... I'm going to say the 5S. Uh, I, I probably have the box behind me. I have all of my iPhone boxes. I'm kind of a hoarder of, uh, of Apple boxes. But the reason I use this as an example is we got all the way up into line, and guess what? The, the, the size and the color of that iPhone that I wanted were already sold out. And I was pissed. I've waited in line for sneakers before at a store, and I watched a fight break out over sneakers in front of me. And by the time I got up there, I ended up buying a pair of sneakers that were about $400, a size too big for me because I waited in that line and I was not going to miss out on them. I say all of that because a lot of the things that we, like, because we have these keyboards in front of us, right? Because we can be keyboard warriors, because it's so easy for us to hate and blame and tweet and share we like we're we're really we can we can really like feel like we can attack this digital world with almost more like power than we've ever had before but here's the thing just like any of those things a lot of it is luck of the draw get there first like we got there at 4 p.m. and we were shocked that there was 100 plus people in front of us but guess what those 100 plus people ended up getting there before us right and you know what like I, I know that sounds like, you know, like, hey, like, you know, like, that's the right way of doing it. Or, you know, like, and maybe in the NFT space, it's not always the people that wait the longest or put in the longest amount of work. But it just, it's just a way that, you know, when there's a, when there's a limited amount of something, there are going to be people that don't get it because if there isn't, the supply and demand doesn't exist. And so I guess that's where I want to leave this is that I want to help solve this problem. If you are listening to this, and you are working on a software or a tool that you are working on whitelist mechanics, if you are working on um, Discord management and better way of identifying your super fans, and it's not by how many posts somebody makes or what levels they're going to do because we need to get away from this because we're really, what we're doing is we're forcing out the people that have day jobs from having an opportunity to be part of these projects. And that to me is a, is a crying shame. That's something that I would want to try to help mitigate. But if you're involved with any of those, I want to, I want to partake. I want to help. I want to, um, you know, I may or may not be working on some software stuff on my side as well, but I just want to say like, let's give some grace to those projects and founders. Like the, the projects and founders that are rug pulling, that are stealing their money, they get no grace. The bots and the hackers that are taking advantage of the human condition, they get no grace. But the good people that are doing their very best to, to deploy a contract and, and to try their best to give some 
resemblance of, of quote unquote fairness, right? Like fairness does not mean everyone gets everything, right? Like that's not the way the world works, but we have to kind of, we have to stop this like hate and blame and this like chastising that exists. And so I just want to call that out. I'm excited that we got both women tribe and, um, bad, you know, the, the bunny buddies uh, as part of our mint 365. And I know some, some of you might be thinking like, Oh, Brian, it must be easy for you to take that stance because you got them, right? Like that, that might be what you're saying, but let's be clear. I was on the pre-sale mint list and I didn't get mine in in time to get it on the on the um, bunny buddies. And I did work with the women's tribes team, did not get paid. They did not pay me. All I got was access on their whitelist. I paid full price for all of these NFTs. To this day, there is not one NFT, not one, of the first 101 NFTs, not one of them have been gifted to us. Have been we have we got it at a discount? Have we got in exchange for promo? Not one freaking NFT. And I just want to be very clear on that. All right, jump to the exploit with OpenSea. Now, until there's actually a little bit of a um, post mortem, which in the security tech world is something that has to be done. I wish more projects would do this we are still kind of a little bit lost on what happened. And I know that like some people are going to say they know exactly what happened, but there's a combination of a phishing attack and a contract exploit that seems to be either had happened or kind of manipulated. And the question becomes, did what OpenSea did as far as updating their, their contracts and forcing manual migration, did it exploit, did it, did it, cause this thing to happen or this is what i believe the exploit has been there since day one but the exploit didn't have a a high enough attention or people that were that were leveraging this until OpenSea actually tried to solve the problem they have because this is the thing in the security world that most people don't understand oftentimes there are vulnerabilities that hackers exploit and and realize but there's not enough um win for them to take advantage of it. So they sit back and wait until either the project shifts that way or there's more people on the platform and then they exploit it, right? And and let's face it, I mean, hackers aren't dumb. But more so than anything, and you know, I, I don't know if I contributed to it or I helped, but you know, like I jumped in our Discord, I put a, uh, you know, an at everyone announcement uh, immediately telling people to disconnect their MetaMasks uh, and then to revoke uh, their permissions over there on Etherscan. And, you know, some people were like, Brian, you know, di- uh, you know, disconnecting your MetaMask does nothing. Uh, wrong. Because here's what happens. See, here's, here's, here's where security, people that don't know security, but like to like think of things as right and wrong and black and white, get this stuff wrong here. And I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm sorry I'm yelling. and I'm a little bit fired up because here's the thing. When an exploit happens, when something happens and everyone is the, the advice to, to solve this, everyone is supposed to do one thing. Guess what also happens? Every one of the hackers that maybe were not involved in that first exploit now know that everyone's advice is to do something else. So now they can take advantage of that exploit. You see what I'm saying there? It's kind of like the, um, and, and I, I hate to use this as an example, but it's kind of like the terrorist bombings um, at the Boston Marathon, right? Where there was one, uh, and I believe it was that one, that there was one 
bomb that went off in one direction to, to make sure that everybody was running back towards it so they could set off that bomb and impact the most amount of people. And I'm sorry if that triggered, I, I, I didn't mean to use that as a uh, example, but I, I guess that's the best first one that came to my mind. I will try my best to avoid using triggering um, examples like that. And if you lost a loved one in a, in a terrorist act or you have someone that is fighting in our war, I just want to say thank you. And we appreciate you supporting us and we are sorry for your loss. And, um, but that is something that happens in the security world a lot where in some cases they're two different people, right? Like if, and, and I will say like for me, when we were dealing with, with this with the government, what would happen was we would hear across the press release or across our internal releases that, Hey, all tough books now need to secure, now to manually need to connect in via the ethernet cable. No computer should be using Wi-Fi anymore. Right. And all of a sudden everyone's like, okay, Everyone just disable your Wi-Fi and plug in your Ethernet cable and everything's going to be solved. That's the only thing you need to do to fix. Well, guess what? Some people that had malicious access to software, guess what they did? They created a pop-up warning on computers that when people plugged in their Ethernet cable, it popped up and said, click this button to disable your Wi-Fi. Now, most people already went in and disabled it, but because they've been told this, they need to disable their Wi-Fi and plug in their Ethernet, the amount of people that were clicking on that button was ridiculously high. And guess what happened when you clicked on that button? It now said, give us permissions to your entire system via the Ethernet cable that was plugged in. Do you see what I'm saying now? So when we think about these, these, these exploits, these hacks, these, these spam, we cannot be... We, if we focus only on putting a Band-Aid on the, the whole of the problem, not only are there going to be other ones that spring loose, but in many cases, we end up funneling all of our attention, all of our habits into one standardized best practice. And guess what that, that does? It makes it very easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel for the hackers to take advantage of us. So what I want us to the think, the think about is OpenSea is not a decentralized marketplace. They have decentralized capabilities, but they are built on a centralized, you know, AWS server. Looks Rare, which is also another marketplace, is the exact same way. They are they are a little bit more decentralized, but their backend is still centralized as a marketplace. Now there have been some um, marketplaces that have popped up recently that have decent are fully decentralized, but guess what the problem with them are. They have a lot of really crappy UI and UX functionality and you pay a lot of money for a lot of things that you, sh you feel as though you don't want to pay money for. And I was going to pull up um, the name of one of them real quick for, for those that are, are curious about um, some of the names of, of a couple of the, the marketplaces that are available. And I'll put them in the, um, in the actual show notes because I don't actually think I have the names in front of me. But what I, what I want to share on this is I, I I get mad at OpenSea too. I, I think their software, their system is too slow right now. I think it causes a lot of, uh, of issues. But just like the last use case, the last area of focus, we also have to be very careful with security advice that we give. And in many cases, if we're only trying to get people to react to do one thing, we're going to do more harm than we are going to be good. So what I would prefer, and this is just like my own little soapbox, is let's not tell people what to do. Let's educate them on why something happened and the ways that we can help mitigate this or limit, limit it. 
Because here's the tough, the tough, tough truth. The only way that you can truly create like a device that is secure is that if it's never connected to the internet. And now people are like, Brian, like, wait, I could secure my NFTs if the if the computer I was using is never connected to the internet. Well, how would I get my NFTs to that computer? Well, you're gonna have to use like your ledger uh, drive, right? So now you're gonna have to take, you're gonna download them to your ledger and then you're gonna walk, it's called sneaker, it's a sneaker net, right? You have to, you have to walk the, the, the device over. Well, here's the other problem with that. That's not 100% foolproof because what if there's a malicious thing that is inserted on that, on that device? When I move it over to that other computer, it's, gonna be, it's also gonna cause an issue. So the only way to be truly secure is to smash your computer with a, um, you know, a hammer, then demagnetize it, then um, compact it, then put it into water, and then um, you know, put it in the dump. Otherwise, the idea of creating something that is quote-unquote secure is damn near impossible. So what we need to do is we need to limit our risk exposure, limit our, our, our one, you know, if we get hacked here, it can't affect everything, right? Which is why, I mean, it's no surprise that our most popular episode of this podcast is the 3 by 3 by 3 episode, which I believe is episode 92 of the podcast, where I talk about the three NFT wallets and, and kind of break down things on that side. Now, the last thing I wanted to talk about was you know, what, what, what got discovered over the last week was Crypto Chicks, which is a project that I, I, I love. Uh, I love the community. I love the team. And, you know, if you remember that interview, um, M, who was on the podcast, discussed how the original artists I launched their first collection didn't realize it was going to be so successful decided they wanted to roll out a second collection. They brought in other people on the team. Well, what was discovered was that actually back in November, the original artist, uh, there was an artist that was on Instagram. There's an artist that she's actually uh, a great digital artist had kind of called out and said, Hey, it looks like somebody copied my art for this project for a couple of the, the, um, the NFTs. And then I'm not even gonna get into the details. I mean, the details to me matter a little bit less than what, than the overall picture here. So what it pretty much had happened was the artist, the original artist of crypto chicks used someone else's art as their influence as, and now in some cases it looks like maybe some features were like literally drawn um, exactly. Other ones looks like they were taken as an inspiration. Now one could argue that there is nothing truly original today and everything is inspired or, um, you know, is, is taken from something else, but that does not give people permission to direct copy and, and monetize themselves. Now, this was a project that was, I mean, the floor jumped off one ETH. Um, it was, it was to the moon. They're doing lots of great partnerships. And as soon as it started getting passed around, uh, you know, things were put into question. And I thought the team did a great job of of jumping on Twitter spaces, jumping on social and saying, Hey, they're looking into these allegations and they'll get back to us. What then happened was the artist, um, from, uh, you know, Polly, who was the artist on crypto chicks came out and said, Hey, when I started getting into art and I'm summarizing here, uh, you know, I took my influence from Google images. You know, I didn't mean to direct copy this person, uh, individually, but I, we've reached out to that person and, and we're hoping to talk to that artist. Well, then after the team went back and discussed some things, um, they came to the decision that um, Polly, the artist that was kind of the original artist, uh, was going to be removed from the project. 
and then they had reached out to the um, the other artists who had been, uh, you know, their art had been stolen and trying to get a hold of them to see what they could do to work together. They also had created um, a fund uh, for uh, women creators that they were going to be donating some ETH to. Now, the entire social digital world of NFTs had their own advice on how this needs to be handled. Some of them said, burn the whole project, it's all gone to hell. Others are like, eh, everybody copies somebody sometime. Like, they should just give her, give the other artists like a, a small percentage of, the, uh, of the, the funds and give her a little bit of credit on the website and we're good, right? Like those are the extremes. And just like in politics, I hate the extremes on both sides. I think the extremes on both sides of politics in America are what the problem are. I also think the extremes and advice on the both sides is the problem. But here's the other part of this is I believe the team at Crypto Chicks, the executive team that came in after the art was the original artist had already designed it and already worked with them, have handled themselves with grace, with dignity, with strong leadership. They've taken it upon themselves to recognize that they needed to pause the, the baby potion thing that was rolling out because it looked like the babies were also something that was um, inspired by some um, you know online artists. And here's the, here's the thing is that this has not happened with a project with this much visibility yet. And everyone giving their own advice, a lot of the advice comes with biases. Some, and, and everyone's like, of course it is, right? Those that are protecting their bags are going to be very defensive of, of, their, um, of their, you know, like, hey, I have 10 crypto chicks. I don't want this project to go to crap because I'm going to lose money. I'm going to tell them to do it to where it saves money the most, right? But then you also have the other side. There are a lot of people that were chiming in that support a different women-based project that were hoping by, by shaming this project, it would make their project stand taller. There were also other people that I went back and I looked at their tweets and I'm like, why are you so negative and so anti? And then I looked back two months into their tweets, because that's what I do, and they were pissed off that they weren't part of the, the Crypto Chicks original mint. And then they were pissed off because they missed... They didn't take advantage of the price when it was 0.18 and all of a sudden it was 0.58 and they were mad at themselves. And so they're now taking this opportunity since they smell blood, they see that weakness that they're going to exploit shame and <laughs> we got to be better than this. We, man, it tears at me. It tears at me because I, I really, I just hate the financial side of this. I know that sounds weird and I know, Hey, I, I know there's in it for this Mike money and I'm in this to make money just as much as everyone else. But I'm also in someone that knows the early adoption world and how this all works. And the only way wag me is going to happen. The only way we're all going to make it, the only way the community actually thrives. And I don't think we're all going to make it. There are going to be bad people that are going to do bad things. There are people that are going to be exploited. There are people that give up that aren't going to get, go through all this stuff. But here's the truth. Don't give people advice that you wouldn't be willing to take yourself. And also, let's also like let each other recognize that this has never happened before. And however they're going to handle it, it might not be the best, but there is no other blueprint to follow. So however they handle it, it will be a learning experience for all of us. Now, 
that might come at you and say, Brian, well, you have a crypto chick. That, no, here's the thing. I have one crypto chick. Well, we have two total in our two bags. And if the project went to zero, that I mean, I got in on the project at like 0 0.09. So in, in all honesty, like the project going to zero doesn't really cost me much money at all. And remember, I think of, of NFTs much like I play poker, right? The, um, in a money that is quote unquote like offered to me or what I could sell my NFT for, but I didn't, is not my money. I didn't lose money I never had. That's how I, I, I've always looked at it that way. And I think we all should look at it that way. It's too, this, it's too much of a mental health roller coaster to do it a different way. But with all of that being said, with all of this interesting things going on here, we are all human. And I think we're all going to do the very best we can do. We're going to take ownership where we take ownership. And some people don't like other people's style of leadership, but guess what? Some people don't like your style of leadership either. And guess what? Some people aren't going to get along with others and aren't going to like the way people handle crisis. But I am one that believes that the projects that handle adversity with the most transparency and the most honesty and the most open communication are going to win in the long run. Because guess what? The blockchain don't lie. There are projects out there right now where people are on their high horse, where guess what? Their founders are buying all of the NFTs up so the project looks like it's sold out. Guess what? There are projects right now where they just went out to their 100 biggest investor friends and said, could you each buy 10 of these NFTs so it looks like more of these are selling? And whenever, whenever we sell out, you can just dump all of them. But these are people that are chastising other founders for what they're doing. And I'm sorry, it, it's so easy to throw stones. It's so easy to attack people. But here's the thing. We're, we're all learning. Like three years from now, when an artist gets ripped off off of an original project, we're going to have plenty of examples of what to do, what not to do. But right now in 2022, we're all figuring this out as we go. And I guess this ranty episode on these three topics comes down to this, this adage of, can we just be kind to each other? And I know there's money involved and I, I don't like seeing people take advantage of, and I don't like people stealing other people's artwork. And I don't like people getting away with theft. And I don't like people not taking ownership of something. And I don't like people that are, and I, and I want more people to step up and educate and amplify. But at the same time, like, let's take a beat. Like, I don't really like when someone says wag me or we believe in the community or we're all in this together yet you're because you don't own a project. You're going to attack somebody or, but because you do own a project, you're going to give up your morals and your values because there's money involved, man. There's one thing I can promise you on this show, on this podcast for the all 365 episodes. There's no project. There's no amount of money that will get me to do something that violates my own values, my own morals, or in, if, if I believe it's going to jeopardize the trust I have with you and the audience, I'm not going to do it. No amount of money. I'm sorry. Um, you might want to call my bluff on that, but bring it at me because um, I'm 40 years old and I've had plenty of opportunities and I've had influencer gigs that are six figure, almost seven figure offers that I, I could use the money. But what I was going to need to have to do to, 
to make that project work was going to be outside of what I pra- what I preach. And I am one that you, there is one thing you're going to know about me is that I, I practice what I preach and I believe in community so much so that we're giving up 52% of, of this entire project to our community. I believe in learning together so much so that I am doing everything in my power to, you know, not only commit to this daily podcast, but to go out of my way to use my social equity to bring on other experts and amazing humans on the show. So I say all of that because I think the takeaways from all three of these is that there is really right now no 100% right and 100% wrong with how things are happening unless it's the, the hackers and the scammers, unless it's those that are fraudulent, unless it's those that are doing bad things with you know, bad intention. But I am one that looks at the intention of people and I, and I like to believe that people deserve second chances I like to believe people, for the most part, are downright good human beings. And lastly, I believe that the only way we get through this, we get towards mass adoption, we get towards where those of us that are putting our blood, sweat, and tears into this community ultimately get rewarded, is if we stop attacking each other and we start rallying around each other. And I felt that the other night when OpenSea Exploit happened, Everybody seemed to rally around educating, giving people advice on what they needed to do. There were some people that were giving advice that they have no business giving advice. And I'll, I'll leave this, this, this last part. We have to be very careful with the advice that we give, the things that we share. When people ask me for security advice, I will always tell them what I know by personal experience and what I know by those that, I, that are in my trusted circle. But I will not... Unless I am able to replicate something, unless I am able to actually walk through the use case exactly myself in a sandbox or be able to A-B test something, I will not give concrete, this is the only way to do things. What I will do is, what can we do today to mitigate our risk for the greater whole? So I want to thank everybody for listening. As always, this podcast is super powered by the ADHD coin over at Rally. Check it out at ADHDcoin.com. Got a really great uh, couple guests coming up for you over the next couple weeks. Uh, we got a, a mobile metaverse company coming on. We got a major league baseball player coming on talking about um, his role into NFTs. We got a, uh, a woman who is a master of the metaverse. We have a friend who is really great at smart contracts and has been working as a developer on the back end of some of the great projects that we have been a part of. Uh, we have someone that is actually part of, of one of the, the biggest rollouts of uh, NFT analytics tools that I've ever been, I've ever seen, uh, going to join the podcast. So, uh, lots of great things to have, um, ahead. We, we pushed through a hundred, my friends, and we're on our way to 193 until tomorrow. Make it a great day. Cheers. The show is not